We are working through our series on relationships, uh, Love Shared is the title of it, and we're working through the book of Ephesians, we're in Ephesians chapter 3, the second half of that chapter, beginning at verse 14. If you remember, last week Nick shared with you the mystery of God being revealed to his people in Jesus Christ, and as one looks at Jesus, one more fully understands who God is, and so for us to understand more about who Christ is and the work that he did to save us and to redeem us is obviously important. But this text actually, um, it, it interacts with that text in a way that we need to understand. It begins with, for this reason. So as we think about what we have here in verses 14 through 21, we'd better, even for a moment, look back at what was in the previous text so that we know what the reason is. Otherwise, we're just trying to um, discover truth without seeing more where it comes from. So you can ignore me for maybe 20 seconds as I begin my sermon and look back at that if you need to. But as, uh, as we begin um, understand or begin learning about God's Word, let's spend some time in it. Verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love That surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to begin this morning by posing this question. How have you experienced God's love? And by experienced, I mean, how have you felt it? How have you, where have been those moments where you were like, wow, like this is one of those God is present in me moments. I mean, God is present with us all the time, sure, but I mean, those ones where it was like, in our face. And perhaps you would point to some sort of worship experience or learning experience, a conference or a convention that you went to um, where it was just like overpowering. Uh, there's some, you know, go to a women's conference in a couple of weeks and I'm, my guess is there'll be some worship times, worship experiences like that. Promise keepers I know in the years past was like that for a number of men. Maybe it's a song that we sing. I know there's certain songs that just sort of grab onto us and they move us to experience the love of God. It's like those words that are in that song just speak to our hearts and transform us. Um, 
But, but I hope, uh, I expect, and in fact I would expect in our uh, conversation about how you experience the love of God that you would get to where I want to get to because frankly it's my sermon and I have a point to make and I want you to be along with me in it. So uh, I would expect that if we talk long enough we would get to the point of saying and I've experienced the love of God through another, a person. Uh, a person that I interacted with, a person that I saw something in, a person that I, I, I was spoken truth by, or they spoke truth to me, or they, they, they simply gave me a hug or were with me. My guess is that Luke is that for you, Shana, at different moments, that God speaks to you through this little boy that you've been given. I, I would expect that, that, that we would hear those sorts of words. You'd be able to tell me about those times when you've been with somebody, had coffee with somebody, and it was in some ways like that person disappeared almost. And God was present to you through them. And I think that actually is really important stuff. In fact, that's fundamental and I think it's fundamental even to this text. When we say the words, how high, how wide, how deep is the love of God, for us to understand it in relationship. And I know there's some of you who would read this text and say, wait, hold on, I'm not seeing relationship really here. There's a couple little words that you could draw it out of, and maybe those, those, that's what you're talking about. But actually, it's, it's bigger than that. In fact, as you look at the text with me this morning, we're going to see those spaces and places where I think that that's fundamental to the reading of the book of Ephesians, that the love of God is something that is revealed through us experiencing godly and loving relationships with others. Now, this text starts with the phrase, for this reason, which means we need to go back and we need to talk just for a second about the mystery of God being revealed in Christ in the previous section of text, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 3. And what Paul is saying, he's saying that God, God is revealing himself through Christ, but because of God revealing himself, and I'm not going to pre- preach last week's message, Nick did that, did that wonderfully, but because of all that stuff that God did by revealing the mystery of God in Christ, now he wants the church to know that love, to experience that love, that mystery And he also wants them to know Christ's indwelling. If you look at 14 through 19, it's clear. Verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. The idea is tabernacle or come live with you. Like from John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1, that Christ comes and lives in you. But remember, who's reading this letter? Ephesians church. The book of Ephesians is to the Ephesian church. And we know that there are for sure some Jews in the Ephesian church. And to them, this would be an absolutely foreign idea of God living in them, indwelling. In the Old Testament, they knew about God's presence among them, right? We know that. Tabernacle from the beginning and then ultimately temple. In fact, 
right after Easter, that's what we're going to be talking about is the tabernacle. We're going to walk through what the tabernacle means and how, how, how it is an expression not only of God's faithfulness and presence among his people in the Old Testament, but points us directly to Jesus Christ. That's all great stuff. But in the Old Testament, they didn't know about Christ's or God's indwelling. They knew about Christ, God living among them. Pillar of fire. Ark of the Covenant, Holy of Holies, right above the Ark of the Covenant, the space where God met Moses and the priests. They knew all about that, but now you're telling them that God is coming to dwell within. Well, that's a weird experience. It's a mystery of one of those things that probably wouldn't understand that much. And especially, you know, Gentiles too. How do you have something come and indwell you? That would be a strange idea to people who had never heard it before. So they got to figure it out a little bit. And of course, there's one easy answer, of course. I mean, and they would have heard the easy answer because the story was told about, well, Pentecost, right? Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, Acts chapter 1 and 2 and 3, we get all this stuff that happens in the early church. The disciples gather together in the upper room. Christ has ascended a little while ago, and now all of a sudden there's a wind that blows, fire comes on their head, and they start speaking in tongues. Things get a little crazy for a while. They go down to the, to the temple, and Peter gives his big sermon. Thousands are added to their number, and the church begins, right? Right? And we could point to that and say, that's how we know the indwelling of God in Christ. And that's certainly the case. Certainly that's true. We know the presence of God. We know the indwelling of God through the Holy Spirit that begins its work at Pentecost. But, it's clear from the letter that there's more to it than that. And I think that's where we need to go today. We need to understand that it's not just that personal presence of God within us that we experience God's love and the indwelling of God through Christ, but actually there's some more to it. And we need to figure this out too because we want more of the indwelling of God. We want more of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We want more of the indwelling of Christ, don't we? Don't we want that? Of course we do. There's not a person in this room. If I were to ask you, do you want more of God's presence in your life, at least if, if, if you're walking in faith, you would certainly say yes. My guess is. Some of you may say, no, well, let's talk about that and figure out what that means too. Because we want more of that. And so we need to understand more. What, the, what is this indwelling and how does it grow and how do, we, how, do we, how do we experience more of it? Because the problem that we have oftentimes in this world is that we lose it for a while. Has anyone ever gone through those seasons, sort of the dry seasons? Maybe the wilderness seasons where it feels like your prayers hit the ceiling, where you don't really experience God's presence or you don't feel it? You don't feel God? Anyone gone through that? And you're wondering, where did he go? What happened? The Holy Spirit's in me. We know that truth, right? The Holy Spirit is in me, but, but where did it go? I, I, I sat in that worship time, and it was like I was, I was within God, and he was just moving so powerfully. But now I, I sit at home, and I read my Bible, and it's like, it's just words. It's just dry. 
I'm not, I'm not feeling God move in me. I'm not feeling the warmth of his presence. I'm certainly not feeling his love all the time, if at all. What happened? Did, did we lose the indwelling? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Oftentimes those are moments when people will utter a phrase like this. Uh, sometimes actually it's not then. It's more like in high school or college or maybe there's 40 or 50 year olds who will utter a phrase like this. I need to go find myself. Ever heard that phrase? Anyone ever uttered that phrase and then ended up somewhere on the back of a train with a backpack somewhere in Europe? Oh, sometimes that happens. People need to go find themselves. We have family members who say, I need to go find myself. Maybe you're the family member who said you need to go find yourself. Maybe you're the family member that the rest of the family is saying you need to go find yourself. And the idea there is that we will go and spend time on some sort of journey or pilgrimage or some sort of experience doing some activity or something that will help us reflect or meditate or turn inward and figure out what our problems are, what our challenges are, what our thinking is, what our future is. And when we do that, then we're going to truly find ourselves. And we're going to figure it out. And we're going to know what to do next. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's that, that, that idea. You hear of people who do this. I've talked to people who've, who've you know, uh, hiked part of uh, huge, like, big trails in the United States, or they had to climb every mountain in Colorado over a 14, 14ers is what those folks were called, or backpack through Europe, or go, I have some crazy family members who did some lifestyle choices and, choices and some living in communes and weird, weird, weird stuff for a time, trying to figure out who they were, trying to, trying to find themselves in the midst of it, trying to look inward and figure out what was going on. And I, I think there's some validity there. I know that there's certainly stories probably in this room right now where people will say, oh, I did that sort of thing and I came back and it was like I had a new lease on life. I figured it out or we may know people like that. And if that's the case, God be praised that, 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 that you know that story. But I think there's more, more going on here because I don't think that we truly find ourselves inwardly. In fact, I know we don't. Because the text certainly says we don't. We don't find ourselves by sort of going to some place of isolation where we think about certain stuff or reflect on family history or different things that we've gone through or experiences and then finally get all the answers and are able to move forward. In fact, I, I think if that's the only way that we're going to discover who we are, we're missing the point, especially as believers in Jesus Christ. Our identity, who we are, finding ourselves, is based upon who we are in the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. And for us to understand that identity and then to live in his love that he has given to us, is how we best find ourselves. And in this text, the way that we find ourselves is not nearly within. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It is outward. 
Where we find ourselves is actually in relationship. Relationship with God and in relationship with others. You're going to look at this text, you're going to wonder why. Let's go there. Okay? First thing to notice of this text is that it has brackets around it. It's actually a little bit bigger than just this section. It's the end of this section and the beginning of chapter 3. Put those two things in brackets, okay? They, They stand different in the text. Textually, you can see it. Let's look really quickly at what it says just before that first bracket. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. Look at this with me. It says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You remember when I talked about that word household, important word. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What's the phrase that immediately follows that? What? For this reason. So we get just before our little section, the mystery of God and then knowing the love of God, we get just before that section something that focuses specifically on living and loving within community, relationship. How one interacts with the other building blocks around it. You see, Jesus is the cornerstone. The rest of the house is built in the household of God. There's interaction among the bricks. You don't just stand as a brick on your own. You interact with the bricks around you. So we have this relationship idea just before the bracket, but then we go after it. What does it say in chapter 4, beginning at verse 1? It says this, As a prisoner for the Lord then, which connects it to the previous text, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How do you do that? You be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. May every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all was over all and through all and in all. Look at verse 2. This is how you do it. This is how you live the life worthy of the calling you have received, the love that you have received, this deep, wide, high, abundant love. Be completely humble and gentle. Now help me understand this. Can you be completely humble and gentle, isolated from other people? Those are relationship words. Oh, certainly, I can be humble within myself, but it really doesn't do any good. And I am, by the way, very humble. It doesn't do me any good to be humble in my own little world. Humility is something that is a relationship word. I am humble within community. I am gentle within a community. I am the compassion. I am all those other things. With Those are relationship. They're interaction words. So before our section, we get living as in relationship to the other bricks in the household of God. Immediately following, we get these commands to do all these relationship social interaction things. So if we're going to understand 
How wide and how deep? How long is the love of God that, is, that we see from the mystery of God being revealed in Jesus Christ? We do it in relationship. Oh, certainly. Absolutely. There are those incredible things of the Spirit that come and speak to us. And we know the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's certainly not that the only way that we'll experience this is in relationship. But we don't only experience it through the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit. We see both at work here. We see that God's love shows its indwelling in us as we go outward. There's a lot going on here for us to work at and struggle and understand. Yes, the mystery of God is in Christ is revealed through the presence of the Spirit inwardly as an individual. But it's also revealed in how the church responds to it within the community. How do we interact? Are we gentle? Are we humble? Are we patient? Are we bearing with one another in love? And if we're not, then are we experiencing the indwelling of God both individually and communally? God's indwelling, it's not just a personal truth. For believers, it's not just about Christ coming to dwell within you personally. It's a communal truth. It's for the church. God comes and dwells, makes his indwelling among us. This is his bride. There is a relationship idea, but us and God. And as we interact in love, as we interact with those characteristics of gentleness and patience and peace, bearing with one another, we see God's mystery revealed more deeply in us and in us. And if we don't, then we have to ask some questions. Let me pose it this way. If someone were used to, were going to use ten words to describe you, what words would they use? And I want you to try to think of what words they might use. Ten words. And I'm going to pose this question. If love is not one of those words, or loving, do you have a problem? If someone would not use in the top 10 words that you would have yourself described, if someone would not use the word loving, do you have a problem? Because you have experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ, amen? He has given it to you in all its fullness so that it, you, you might know the grace of God through his love, Amen? We know his love through God's presence. And now he says, go and be my, go and be me. Go and be me to the world. And if Christ's primary interaction with you on the cross, and in his death, in his persecution, in his, in his torture, in all that stuff was, he did it because he loved you. And now he says, go and be me to the world. What should be our primary interaction with the world around us? What is it? Love. So, if 
using the top 10 words that some people would use to describe you. If in that top 10 is not the word loving, do we have a problem? Because that's who we are called to be. As we know the indwelling of God in Christ. When we talk about how wide, how deep, how, how broad, how everything God's love is. It's not just His love shown to us. It's how we are His love to the world around us. And if it's in your, not in your top three words, you got a problem. If it's not your top word, you got a problem. And I dare you to go home and ask your spouse, where is it on my list? And if not, doesn't make the top 25, you got a problem. And the truth is that as a lot of Christians, we got a problem. The mystery of God being revealed to us in Jesus Christ is His love that comes and indwells us. And now He says, go and be my love to the world. And oftentimes, we simply ain't love to the world. You know how much I hate the blogosphere. You know how much it drives me crazy when things show up on the internet and things blow up. The Duck Dynasty thing last fall, and now we recently had the World Vision stuff. And I'm not going to get to the ins and outs of the World Vision stuff, but let me just say this. They made a decision that was impacted by their view on homosexuality. World Vision is the organization that sponsors literally millions of orphans around the world and provides care for them in the name of Jesus. They made a decision about homosexuality within their organization, and it blew up. It blew up in a way that they never intended, that nobody ever expected. And... That's neither here nor there, and then they changed the decision. I'm not going to get in the ins and outs of that, but what I saw, again on the internet, and again in these statements that get made by Christians, drive me nuts! Because is the top word that they use to work this through love or not? And the answer so often is, no. They use judgment. They use anger. They use frustration. They use stubbornness. They use pride. They use intellect. They use, I'm better than you are, or I'm right. As opposed to using words like, I love you. I love kids. I love all people that God created. I love homosexuals as God has called me to love them. And you see those sorts of things and you just go, where is love in all this? Because God gave his greatest gift to me in Christ lovingly being tortured, lovingly being crucified, lovingly dying, lovingly being without the presence of his Father, and ultimately, lovingly being resurrected and ascending to heaven. And if he did that lovingly and said, now go be me to the world, and I am not willing to, as difficult as it might be to be loving, what's missing? 
Folks, being a follower of Jesus Christ is hard stuff. Don't, any, don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. This ain't easy. This is hard. Because it means we have to love people. And I look at you and there's someone, who, there's some people in this room that are hard to love. But if I'm going to know the mystery of God being revealed by the indwelling of Jesus Christ in me, the one who showed me love, then I'd better, through the Spirit's leading, screaming at Jesus to help me find a way to love. Find a way to live in some sort of loving relationship. Doesn't mean I water down truth. Doesn't mean I don't say things that, uh, you know, go against the Bible. It simply means that I find a way to love. We talk about Christ's indwelling. We have to understand, it doesn't just give us personal comfort, but it's also a powerful fuel to share that indwelling in the world around us, to find a way to share that indwelling, to share the truth of God. You want to know how high, how wide, how deep the love of God is? Guess what? You are it, oftentimes. If it comes through relationship, you are that love. That's how wide, how deep, how long the love of God is, sometimes. Oh yes, it's supernatural and God does it in His way, but sometimes He uses you and He uses me to be His love. That's how wide, how long, and how deep it is. When Christ speaks of making a home among his people, John 14, verse 23, where he says, My Father and I will dwell with you. We will make our home with you. We will tabernacle. It's this idea of indwelling. When that happens, yes, he makes his home within us. But we also know we also become him to the world around us. You and I know Jesus. You, you got a house guest. You don't just keep that house guest within your house, lock the doors and say you can't go out. You let that house guest go, come and go as they please and where they might go. And they use you in the process. That's what Christ is doing. He's using us. We're his home. And now he's taking his home on the road. In us. Using you, using me. And this does impact how we see verses 18 through 21 about the love of God. His incomprehensible love, his abundant love, it's made known to us and it's made known to the world through us. We carry his love with us. And we have lots of evidences of those sorts of stories here at the river. I found out another one this week that um, I just love this story. We have uh, a new custodian here at the river. Her name is Dewanda Dickens. Dewanda's sitting right here in the front row. She's been with us for just over three months. I think somewhere in there, close. Dewanda hasn't always had an easy life. And I asked Dewanda if I could do this, so we're okay. We're grooving, aren't we, Dewanda? We're all right. I know I'm going to make you cry, but it's a beautiful, beautiful cry. Dewanda has lived a difficult life. She has five children, four of whom are still living. Their four daughters are scattered among four different states. She had a son who died when he was six and a half months old. Um, in the midst of a lot of life, Dewanda made some choices, specifically on substances, that provided some challenges for her. 
She was for a long time um, in the bottle pretty hard. Uh, she used to spend a whole lot of time underneath the overpass over here. That's where she lived. She um, there's a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, a lot of trial. For a number of years, she went to a park in town where a group of people from the river, led by Pete and Alice Vanderkoy, distributed a whole lot of food over the years. A lot of food. And for a number of years, Dewanda, because she wanted food, because she was hungry, went and got food from Pete and Alice Vanderkoy, among others, who showed up there to distribute food. And in the midst of that, she got to know them. How long did you get food, Dewanda? Maybe four, five, six years? Six years. And then Dewanda realized that her life was the mess that it was, and she wanted help. So where do you go for help? You go for help to people who are showing you wide, deep, and broad love. You go to Pete Nallis. So Pete Nallis... In Dewanda's words, they didn't help Dewanda pick herself up and dust herself off. She says they picked her up and power washed her because the dirt was on so tight. <laughs> and then Pete and Alice did something crazy. They did something nuts. Something foolish in the eyes of the world. They allowed a blazing, recovering alcoholic to come live with them. For two years. And in two years, God did stuff. Because God's love is deep and wide and high and broad. Especially when people show it. And Dewanda's been sober for two years. She's had some struggles. I'm her boss, so sometimes you just want to drink. I understand. She's had her struggles. But God has shown victory. So we hear this story in Staff Devotions last Tuesday. I didn't know it. I knew some of it, but I didn't know all of it. And it's not that it's just a beautiful story of God taking something that was messy and needed to be power-washed it's that God used people to show wide, deep, and broad love to somebody who so desperately needed it. And it took. It had enough hooks in it that it's still going. And there are times, Dewanda says, she says, where I still sometimes think maybe I could have a drink, maybe I should have a drink, but I would, in her words, disappoint too many people. I would disappoint God, I would disappoint myself, and I'd disappoint people like Pete and Alice who love me a whole lot. That's the power of deep, wide, broad love. Guess what? A life has changed because of it. But not just one. There's two others over there. And there's one here. And there's one here. And there's a whole lot here. Because you know what? This woman is here every day, every day of the week, 
cleaning this house for you. Why? Because it's God's house and she loves God so much that she wants to keep his house clean for his people. Those are her words. They're not mine. How many of you look at your job that way? Holy smokes, God's done work here and we all receive the blessing because of it. Because that's what happens when the mystery of God is revealed through the indwelling of Jesus Christ and that love going out in broad, deep, and wide ways. Where is God calling you to bring your power washer of his love? Where are the spaces and the places that he has prepared for you and will move through, your Holy, through the Holy Spirit as you are obedient to the calling he has given you to power wash with your, in your world somewhere, somehow, his, someone who needs his love. Or maybe God is calling you to go to somebody who has a power washer. And in obedience, they may do some work of God's love in your life. Ultimately, the greatest love that we know is in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know this love, if you don't know what it means to trust that there is a love big enough even for your messy, crazy, horrible life, I want to speak to you about the truth of the gospel, that God's love is deep and wide enough and he's shown it to us in Christ. If you're desperate for that love and you've never experienced it before, come, let's talk. This is important stuff. It changes lives. Christ can change your life. He will change your life through His grace. For us to trust in that and throw that love out in every way, in every space in the world that God gives us to throw it out in obedience, seeing how wide and how broad and how deep it is. We never know what will happen. We never know what He will do because He's God. He's faithful and he lives within you through the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? God, you are God and we are grateful for that because you've shown us your power. You've shown us your power through the cross. You've shown us your power through the work of Christ and you continue to show us your power through each other as we experience your presence, your love ourselves as we share it with others. We see your kingdom grow. Father, may we desire to see your kingdom grow. Lord, may we share your love generously. May we speak the truth of Christ boldly. May we hug and care for others freely. And as we do so, may we experience your indwelling even more. That you might grow your spirit in us and use us in even more incredible ways. You are so very good. We are grateful for your work in our hearts and our lives. Continue that work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.